Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. Hey, Taylor here. I'm just gonna make some coffee quick. Did you know that the average American drinks over two cups of coffee a day? That's about a medium coffee or a grande coffee at your local coffee shop. I tend to drink a little more coffee than that. I brew usually six to seven cups of coffee every morning and I drink it all. Sometimes I even follow that up with some decaf coffee later in the afternoon. So I might have a little problem, but coffee tastes so good. I always wondered how we get the flavor out of it. I did serve as a barista, so I do kind of know a little bit more than most people about coffee and the different kind of coffee drinks. But still, I don't know a whole lot about its history, how it's exploded as a trend in a huge business segment in our economy. And so I talked to Andy about it. And Andy had similar questions and went on a huge journey to appreciate coffee. In fact, he spent over $1,500 to make a cup of coffee once. So in this episode, we talk more about coffee. Brian brings us the history of coffee. I talk to a friend of mine who sources and roasts and teaches about coffee. And we dive into Andy's trip and how he learned to appreciate this caffeinated, dirty water we drink every day. Now, while I drink this cup of coffee, here's the show. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. A good cup of coffee is readily available, and it feels fairly simple to make. It's ground up coffee beans and hot water. But where does that flavor really come from? I mean, we all really want the caffeine inside those beans. But when we have a bad cup of coffee, especially if you really rely on coffee for that morning boost, it really can ruin your day. So in this episode, we're going to uncover the complexities of the coffee industry. And most of all, what gives coffee that flavor that somehow millions of people around the world have learned to love. Coffee, 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 coffee. Andy, how much coffee have you had today? I had one cup. One cup? I'm on my third. Wow, you're beating me. Well, when I was making it, I told you I was brewing my personality for the day. (laughs) I love coffee, but I know it's something that millions of people around the world rely on every day to help them wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. I also know that you were recently converted from a non-coffee drinker to a major coffee drinker. Mm Mm-hmm. But you took that to the next level and figured out way, way more and went through the whole growing and roasting and brewing method process all yourself. Oh, yeah. My primary motivation is the fact that I knew nothing about coffee and actually didn't really like it. But I was curious. So I wanted to, like, know. I want to know all the little details of, like, what does it mean to roast it a certain way? What does it mean to brew it a certain way? What does it, what does it matter where you grow it from? By uh, going to Mexico... 
harvesting it myself and going through every single step with a bunch of different experts till I could finally say, this is why it tastes that way. Andy documented his full experience of making coffee completely from scratch on how to make everything. There's a playlist we'll link to in the show notes at makeeverything.tv slash simplycomplex. In that series, Andy broke down the process of making coffee into the bean, the roast, and the brew. So those three processes are the keys to making coffee. Today, we're focusing in on where coffee flavor comes from and what contributes to it most. Let's first learn a little bit more about coffee from Brian. So when I was a kid growing up, one of the things my family liked to do when we gathered together was sing songs. Yes, you heard that right. We were a regular Partridge family, singing Simon and Garfunkel, Joni Mitchell, and Jim Croce songs while my aunt plucked away on an acoustic guitar. One ditty we kids loved to sing was a round robin song about a beverage we had not yet even begun to enjoy. It goes like this. C-O-F-F-E-E, coffee is not for me. It's a drink some people wake up with. That it makes them nervous is no myth. Slave to the coffee cup, they should give coffee up. A strange song to be sure, but we loved singing it. That is but a small example of how much coffee is ingrained in the American psyche. We've covered coffee quite a bit on our YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, you should. Andy flew all the way to Oaxaca to get a cup of coffee made in a dirty sock, seriously. So I'm not going to cover everything here. Think of this more as a rundown of some of the most interesting tidbits regarding the coffee bean. Worldwide, coffee is the second most traded commodity next to oil. Every year, 22 billion pounds are grown, serving up 800 billion cups of liquid gold. Coffee originated in Yemen and Ethiopia, though it is now grown throughout the southern hemisphere in what is called the bean belt. While there are 450 species of coffee bean, the two dominant species are the Arabica bean and Robusta bean. Arabica beans are considered a higher-end bean, since it typically yields a better flavor and is more difficult to grow. Arabica beans need to grow in the mountains, where the wide shifts in temperature from day to night are required to give the bean its great flavor. Robusta beans, on the other hand, can grow at any elevation, grow faster, and require less pampering than their upscale sibling, hence the name Robusta. When you think of diner coffee, chances are you are drinking Robusta. Some other interesting tidbits. Have you ever wondered why the English are still wild about their tea? While we Americans are solid coffee drinkers through and through, it may have to do with the Boston Tea Party and the American ban on English tea during the Revolution. Coffee has also been banned throughout history. It was banned in Mecca in 1511, as it was believed to stimulate radical thinking and unlawful gathering. It was deemed satanic by the clergy in Europe during the 16th century, but later blessed by Pope Clement VIII after he developed a taste for it. In Constantinople, now Istanbul, the Ottoman king banned coffee and punished coffee drinkers with a one-way trip to the Bosphorus Strait in a leather bag. In 1777 Prussia, Frederick the Great banned coffee, saying it interfered with the country's beer consumption, and Frederick encouraged his countrymen to wake up with a stout glass of beer. Prost! Today, more Americans drink coffee than don't. There are over 55,000 coffee shops in the U.S. alone. Typically, there are 10 steps from seed to cup. Talk about simply complex. If you want to see the whole process, check out Andy attempting to do every step himself on our YouTube channel. I'm out. Thanks, Brian. So besides the delicious flavor and the crazy amount of coffee I drink every day, by the way, I did just add that up, and 
If I drink six to seven cups of coffee a day, that means I'm drinking around 137 gallons of coffee every year. To put that in perspective, a normal bathtub is about 80 gallons. So that means I'm drinking about one and three quarters bathtubs full of coffee every year. I should probably cut back. But anyways, the, one of the more fascinating parts of coffee to me is the business side. A big part of business growth in any company these days usually revolves around technology and globalization. That reminded me of my friend Bryce Sturmer. Bryce takes coffee super seriously. He runs Velodrome Coffee Company. He also teaches on coffee, so he takes flavor extremely seriously as well. As the coffee industry has exploded in recent decades... There's been a new movement to source coffee beans from single farms. Single farm roasts are often the most concentrated, flavorful coffees you can find. This is similar to the way the wine industry already works and provides well-known wines from certain regions around the world. Bryce takes this approach with Velodrome Coffee Company. Not only that, he takes the time to tell the stories of the farmers he works with and sources his coffee from. So I gave Bryce a call to see how technology has changed the coffee industry in his experience and what really matters in giving coffee its flavor. I will warn you, this is a phone call, so there is little interference, but it's still a super fun conversation. My name is Bryce Sturmer. I am the founder and one of the co-owners of Velodrome Coffee Company. And I also do some coffee company consulting work. Briefly, give me like an overview of your career path and your background in coffee roasting, sourcing, etc. I started in coffee in high school. I was got into like making pour-overs when I was growing up. That kind of led to some home roasting. And then I started working at some cafes while I was going to school to be a nurse. In that, I saw that coffee could be a viable career. So sought that out. And then um, my wife and I lived in Green Bay for a few years. And that's where I started roasting for Luna Coffee Cafe and learned a trade there from a guy named Mark. From there, um, my wife and I went to Franklin, Tennessee, which is just outside of Nashville. And kind of down there, realized that coffee was my path. And that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So got the opportunity to learn as much as I could there from the owners that own that company. And by the time I left Honest Coffee Roastery, we were roasting hundreds of thousands of pounds. And I got to kind of oversee the growth and first few steps of that company before leaving. So got to really learn a lot of the roasting side, kind of got to take my own path in the roasting side, I should say. And then got to pick up some of the green coffee sourcing stuff there. And then also just the general business behind running a company, which then led me to Marquette, Michigan. We moved back up here to be closer to family and start our own business. So that's uh, Velodrome Coffee Company. How has the technology changed and impacted the roasting process in your career? I mean, I learned in a very manual way to roast coffee. A lot more senses-based, a lot more craftsman, artisanal approach, if you will. From there, going to Honest, was able to take a lot of that manual I guess, technique over, but used a lot of data logging for roast profiles, which are kind of like the recipes you use when you roast coffee. But yeah, since I've been in the industry, there's been a pretty big company called Cropster, which has kind of set the game for digital roast profile tracking and replication and that sort of thing. So I guess in my career specifically, technology has just been a great way to like log data specifically for roasting. So it seems like the science of consistency has gotten a lot more precise. 100%, yeah. And there's like the rise in objective tools, let's say, to roast coffee has been really um, 
on the up and up as well. Uh, and one device, is, I forget what it's called, but essentially it can register, it takes color and associates it with a, a number. Uh, and it's something that actually a company developed for McDonald's so that they could always cook their fries to the same degree at every location that they have. No um, so, yeah, so someone adopted that for roasting. Um, I can't, like I said, I can't remember the name of the company, but basically you can take a reading of the outside of the beans, then you grind them up and you put them in the machine again and it gives you like two numbers basically. You have an acceptable range between the, you know, the outside of the bean and what, what would be the inside of the bean. So yeah, wow. it's kind of a, a tool that is kind of being used in a new way in our industry, which is kind of sweet. That's super cool. Andy did a, a whole video about the ethics of coffee and even breaking down like, the the rates that fair trade pays versus like premium rates uh, for beans. How have you navigated that as both like a roaster and a supplier and a coffee shop? So I guess this kind of really comes down to one specific story for me, and that was um, when I worked for Honest, a bigger roasting company. I got to go to Guatemala to build a relationship with a farm that we were going to start buying um, a lot of coffee from. And when I was there, really fell in love with the mystery of coffee and coffee-growing regions and the people that are involved. And I learned that there was hundreds of people involved on just this one farm alone to produce the product and got to hear about like their lives. But I think the thing that stuck out the most that has like really motivated me to try to share their stories and to be a more conscious coffee buyer is the dichotomy between coffee drinkers in America and coffee growers across the globe. I think there's like this this huge disparity between the expectations of each other and also just the value we give to American companies that like transform, you know, this coffee into something we drink and all the crazy ways they do it. And I was just like, man, the coffee farmers deserve the absolute most respect and recognition in this whole chain. They're the ones taking the biggest risk. They're the ones working with the smallest margins. They're the ones who are like literally at the mercy of the entire like environment and socioeconomic culture of their country and also like how their country fits in globally. And it's something we never think about as Americans. It's just a perspective we don't have. And one specific event that I can just really point back to is when I was there, I was running into a lot of people who would struggle really hard to speak English to me when I was trying to like speak Spanish to them. Like I was in their country. I was in Guatemala trying to communicate with these people who are, you know, picking the trees and they're trying to talk to me in English. It was kind of, I don't know, maybe it was just for me, but like it was this wake up call where it was like, why am I here talking to someone who's literally making, you know, a few dollars a month to like harvest this crop that is my livelihood? Why am I here in their country trying to get them to speak English to me? Like it was just this like, I don't know, I guess uh, conviction to not only learn Spanish, but also to try to share the the lives of these people that farm. And so that's kind of what has been my new mission in consulting and in roasting and uh, selling coffee is just try to get Americans and other people to realize that this whole global industry is built on the backs of these incredible humans that work harder than any of us <laughs> at Origin to like uh, you know create this product and take so much risk in it. So I guess that's my... Uh, my stump speech. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, we're just going to move along, even though we could talk cool. about that forever. What contributes to giving coffee its flavor? Why and how? I know there's. we broke it down as the bean, the roast, the brew. 
Do you have a favorite aspect of that that you feel is like the secret sauce? Totally. So one thing I always kick off with in in talking about coffee and quality and that sort of thing is that we can't add quality at all in the chain of coffee. So uh, when we think about quality, uh, as with most things, we have to think about the very beginning of that thing. Uh, And so with coffee, I always say like the most – like you're essentially making the product. You're essentially establishing its potential at origin, at the farm. You know, not only at the farm, but also like where the farm's located, what kind of soil it's at, what kind of plant varietal you're actually growing, so on and so forth. Those all are all like, let's say, building the pie, maybe, if we're looking at it like that. Mm-hmm. And the only thing we can do um, as we go down this chain is preserve the pie and not damage it. So when I'm roasting, um, I guess my approach is always to try to maximize the potential of the coffee. I believe in trying to get the coffee to like intrinsically show itself. So I'm not going to roast it super dark to get like smokiness, or I'm not going to like try to be like roasting it too light to get these like acids that aren't really going to help out but trying to find this like sweet spot of where this coffee shines uniquely is definitely the goal for, for velodrome and for roasting here. And another thing that a lot of companies do that we also don't is blend uh, different coffee to create a certain flavor profile. What we do is only serve single farm uh, or single estate coffees that are just super unique and can stand out by themselves. So I guess when I talk about quality, that's kind of where my brain always goes is you are basically just trying to not screw it up. Same on and so forth after roasting your barista is going to be extracting that coffee. So they're going to be trying to find the unique qualities within that roast to pull. So you don't want too many of the bad things. You don't want, you know, too little of the good things. You want to find the sweet spot. And that's kind of the theory of extraction. And same for at home, you know, for people that make it at home, that's like my biggest fear as a coffee roaster that cares so much (laughs) about quality is what happens after you sell it? It can go away and die a slow death and not be uh, maximized ever, which is very sad. But hopefully you have education and you have resources for um, home consumers and definitely your baristas to be able to pull out the most potential. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a it can be a very sad, slow chain that can make it all the way to the end and then not be enjoyed uh, in the final product. Or uh, if everything goes absolutely perfectly um, and no quality is taken, because that's the only thing you can do, then you end up with this amazing, what I call, high-quality cup of coffee. Is there a difference when, say, you're tasting a coffee versus when you're buying a coffee that you you use to approach what those final characteristics will be and what that, you know, quote-unquote quality will be? Yeah. What I look for when I buy coffees is, I, I would say, like, uniqueness, which seems like a cliche word to use, I guess. But when you consider... As a coffee professional, like a lot of coffees that you've tasted, you know how Guatemala's taste. You know the difference between a Costa Rica and a Guatemala mm-hmm. or a Mexico and a Guatemala. Like you can get those subtle differences. I think what's most fun for me is finding like the little dark horses in the mix. So like the for example, the coffee we have from Papua New Guinea right now. Usually coffee from Papua New Guinea is very like vegetal, uh, kind of sagey, maybe even like soily tasting, very like earthy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh However, this one that we're serving is super bright. Uh, it's super clean tasting, which means like you can taste all the different characteristics, very like clear cut. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been a fun one to serve because uh, it's just so different than other Papua New Guineas. And so I guess the ultimate goal 
with any coffee we serve is for a customer to drink it and not just be like, cool, what, like throwing coffee down the throat. It's like, whoa, wait a second. What, 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 what's going on here? This is different. I like this. Um, so pleasing and also just like kind of I, whatever the word would be for just kind of like taking a moment to be like, wait a second. What? Like, what's, what is this? This is amazing. I love this. That's awesome. Really building in those experiences to every cup. One of the, the aspects that we wanted to touch on was growing up, uh, there wasn't like a lot of really good coffee options. Like, you know, everybody had Folgers or these like mass coffees that they would buy at the, the grocery store. And that was about all there was. And then if you went out to buy a coffee, there really wasn't any good places. What do you feel has impacted this recent coffee explosion the most? What has grown this new craft approach so much? Yeah. I attribute a lot of it to the craft beer industry and kind of the new approach they've been able to take in educating consumers. We're used to drinking a subpar product as well. In these other you know, companies that have taken a general population and turned them into craft consumers, which is pretty, uh, pretty big for the coffee world, I would say. That's super fascinating. I did a little bit of research with the rise of Starbucks and like the, yeah. the third place mentality. And so, oh, yeah. yeah, that's like the branding angle of it. But mm-hmm. there's also this whole supply chain issue. And on a craft level, like there's more people than yep. ever getting into crafting coffee. So I, I really like that oh, yeah. perspective. Yeah. And it's also really interesting because even just in my short time in this industry so far, we've seen a huge increase in people that buy smaller and smaller roasters and roast themselves like cafes that would normally just buy their coffee from a roasting company are all now like roasting themselves. And I think it's really interesting that our, our whole industry has kind of allowed that to happen and like made it possible. And then barely trying to catch up with all of the, all of the new attention to these small, small roasteries. That's super cool. What's the best way for people to connect with your products? Like, what's the best way to find your products and your, your links and then the coffee consulting as well? Pretty much anything can be found on our website, belgiumcoffeecompany.com, the longest URL in the world. And <laughs> uh, there's a contact form there for developing stuff so people can get to me that way. And all of our products are available online and ship fresh within uh, 48 hours. So, uh, yeah. That's super cool. And then last question is, what's your favorite brew method? Ooh, that's a tough one. It's like choosing a favorite child. How do I do that? Uh, I guess I just go for it. Uh, I like uh, probably, oh man, this is so difficult. I'm going to say Clever Dripper. Okay. It's this like kind of immersion brewer. It's kind of like a tea press with a paper filter. Okay. This has a lot of versatility to it, but I guess tough because like, I like, I have a specific brewer that I like for every specific style of brewing, you know what I mean? <laughs> nice yeah clever dripper that's awesome i'll have to yeah cool well thank you so much for your time man really appreciate you fitting this in thank you so tell me about your journey with coffee because you at the beginning you said you knew nothing about coffee and your goal was to learn as much as possible about coffee i mean let's start from the very beginning growing up my parents loved coffee but they drank mostly like Folgers. And that's what I woke up every morning was this really strong aroma of cheap coffee that I just found disgusting. And uh, I think it was, we ended up going to this like really remote village in the foothills uh, in uh, Mexico. And uh, just one morning we woke up and the guide who was showing us around, 
gave me this, it was actually in a bowl of coffee for some reason. Um, but I tried it. I was just like, this tastes so different. It's so good. And that like really encouraged me to like dig in deeper as we were doing it. So you'd gotten all the way to Mexico before like really buying into coffee. Yeah. Like I had been trying to get into it on the, on the, in the preparation for it and everything. But once I was actually there, it's like the first time I, I think I really enjoyed a cup of coffee. Technically a bowl. <laughs> That's amazing. So you didn't drink coffee at the beginning, but you did have a tasting that Chris told me about in Mexico where you're still trying to figure out the differences. Yeah. So this was after a long, hot day in the sun where we did the original harvesting. And then we had a little bit of downtime and the guy who was showing us around, he's like, well, let's do a cupping. And uh, cupping is a process of kind of checking the quality of your coffee and making sure there aren't any irregularities to it. Um, so you're basically smelling and tasting the same coffee five times in a row to see if there's one that's off. And uh, at this point, I was still brand new to coffee, so it all tasted like coffee. <laughs> you, you can smell the fragrance. Okay. First step. Smell good. It smells like coffee. <laughs> so I was getting really frustrated because I was so exhausted. And like people were telling me, oh, describe it more. Like it tastes like coffee. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but we actually did it again back here in the States. And instead of testing the same version five times to see if there's any discrepancies, he had me smell and taste several different varieties from different parts of the world and different roasts and everything. And like there, it was like, oh, wow, now I can tell like what what is better than what, what the difference is between them and like what type of roast I prefer. So what were the main differences you felt like you could tell between the coffees you tasted? Was it something in texture? Was it something in flavor? Uh, it was mostly flavor. Um, and they all kind of had varying amounts of both kind of bitterness or sweetness. Some of them, were, I believe they were, um, I think they were dried with the, the fruit still on tack um, and not removed until the very end, which resulted in a, a nice little sweeter taste to them. And then other ones had like hints of chocolate, just naturally in it. Other ones were a bit more bitter. Um, I don't remember all the specifics at this point, but uh, I remember there were definite, definite differences between all of them. Do you have a favorite kind of coffee now, like a favorite origin? or The most noticeable thing I found was the, the roast and whether something's a lighter, medium, or dark. And I found there that uh, the lighter, the more flavor it seemed to have. And then when it got darker, it was just kind of a burnt flavor that I originally didn't like about coffee. That's, that holds up with what I've learned, too. But yeah, for me, I, I figured out that I really like those medium blends. Yeah. And that I like the ones that have more of like a caramely or chocolate overtone. Mm -hmm. And I don't like the ones that have more of an earthy tone. Mm -hmm. I really like Ethiopian coffees and Colombian coffees. Um, but I also really like Guatemala's as well. You And Mexico's good too, which is essentially what your beans were. Yeah, and that's one thing I remember is they, they had me try all these different countries and ended up choosing Mexico, which worked out well because that's where we ended up going. <laughs> now on to Mexico. It seems pretty good, just kind of a good normal coffee. Yeah, I really like this coffee. It's got some medium acidity, it's very balanced. It's creamy, I would say. This might be what I would like want in the morning for like a normal cup of coffee. Yeah. I think I like this one best. Well, you know, since you like the Mexican coffee so much, it might be really cool to go to Mexico and visit some producers there. It could probably set you up with some nice coffee. 
it's amazing like the subtleties once you learn what to look for. Mm-hmm. Even textures wise, Bryce and I, we talked a bunch about brewing methods. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned I like making a Chemex. You guys like your French press. Mm-hmm. And he recommended this. His favorite brewing method is called the Clever Dripper. I don't, oh. I don't know if you tried that. It looks really cool. I'll show, it, show you a picture of it. Yeah, because in the video series, we did like five or six different methods of brewing it. And I could notice the difference between a few of them, but like the Chemex and the French press were pretty indistinguishable to me. Mm-hmm. They both were really good. Chemex ends up super smooth, hmm. um, but it doesn't taste thick. Okay. And for me, the French press, it always tastes a little bit thicker, even though it's smooth. Mm-hmm. But there's always that like chalkiness just because it's brewed with the beans inside. Mm. So it's like the filtering thing that throws me off. Okay. So, I mean, we could A-B. We'll have to A-B one of these days. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the process and journey? I think picking it straight from the tree. Um, and as I mentioned, I didn't know much about coffee. So it was early in the research I learned it came from like an actual cherry, which is, is kind of surprising um, if you aren't aware of that, it's just like there's these bushes, they grow like little cherries, and inside of that is the actual seed, which is a coffee that you eat. The outside of it actually tastes pretty decent. Uh, they actually make a, a tea out of it, which is called cascara, and uh, it's actually pretty good. Nice. How much coffee did you actually harvest, and did it last very long? Uh, what we harvested was green coffee that still had the parchment on it. Um, got a bag of it. Um, my... Uh, yeah. How, how, do, how do I record my hand gestures I'm doing right now? Uh, <laughs> I guess, w- how much compared to an ice cream bucket? Ice like cream a bucket? gallon ice cream bucket. Uh, or a coffee bag. It's a coffee bag? I'd say it's about a coffee bag, actually, yeah. Okay. Like the full big ones you see at a coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. quite a bit. I still have some left, uh, mostly because it was a pain to remove all the parchments by hand. <laughs> <laughs> so we only did enough to roast a small batch. So one of these days I should dig, dig it back up and make another batch. That'd be awesome. So do you drink coffee every day now? Yeah, now it's a necessity and an addiction. <laughs> so you joined all of us. Yeah, I'm back back with the mainstream. The roasting was was interesting, just the whole process of doing it and how there's these different cracks that you have to listen for and then just to get the perfect amount. It's a lot more complicated than I would have expected. Personally, you just kind of throw it in there, like a popcorn popper or something, and it comes out roasted. But uh, it's a, a bit of an art. It's kind of the whole theme of coffee is just how much of an art every single step is. And I even went so far as to try to do latte art. And by try, I mean go at a competition, have no idea what I'm doing, and just make a complete idiot of myself. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> this cup is terrible. That's why he didn't win. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, thank you all for listening today. I know this was fun for us to revisit Andy's journey in coffee appreciation. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will have to try to learn how to do lattes again, though. Yeah, for when this whole YouTube thing goes down the dumpster, I can... Uh, Get a job at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> we have a job lined up for you already. Sweet. Got to have that backup career. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening today. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you to Bryce for his insight into the coffee world. You can check out his business and order some of his coffee online at velodromecoffeecompany.com. Thank you to the other experts that helped Andy with his coffee journey. 
Thank you to Brian and the rest of the team for helping out and to Studio 71 for making this possible. If you want more resources about coffee flavor and Andy's journey, please check out makeeverything.tv forward slash simply complex for the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is podcast at makeeverything.tv. We also have a P.O. Box, How to Make Everything, P.O. Box 14104, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55114. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.